podcast today basically being one long Caitlin stating corner that's a lot of pressure well I feel like it's going to be impossible for us to talk about this movie without talking about the dating and the bad love the bad <laughs> romance advice that this movie has yeah I don't know that was just a thought that I had I actually don't even know where we're going to start with this movie. I feel like this movie has so much. I I feel like it's going to be difficult to talk about the movie itself. So I really would encourage our listeners to go watch it because I feel like I just have a lot of thoughts about the movie as a whole. And I feel like it's going to be really hard to get into plot points of it. Yeah. Let me introduce the movie first and then we'll get rolling. Welcome to Bad Movie Date Night the podcast in which we take a serious look at bad films and genre films and hopefully give them the credit they deserve. I am Nigel from AJourneyIntoFilm.com, and with me is my wonderful wife, Caitlin. Hello. And this week, we are talking about 2011's New Year's Eve, directed by Gary Marshall and written by Catherine Fugit. And it would honestly be easier to tell you who's not in this movie than it is to read off the entire cast of the movie. There's so many people in this film. I also just remembered another question I wanted to ask you at the beginning of the episode. How does it feel recording our first episode of the year and Christmas of last year has not happened yet? (laughs) Um, We're like time travelers. Something like that. Welcome to 2022, everyone. Yeah. Guess what? It's the same as 2021. Yeah. (laughs) We have salty feelings about New Year's around here, so... (laughs) Um, but you know, we're like if Ashton you're, Kutcher. If you're listening to this on the day that we release it, it should be January 3rd, a couple days after New Year's. Hopefully, your hangover has subsided by now. Hopefully, uh, you are off to a good start with those New Year's resolutions. And I'm sure you've been to the gym every day this week. Well, Caitlin, you can't start the <laughs> gym on the weekend, you got to start on a Monday. So, <laughs> you know, let's give people some slack. We decided. Since it was difficult to access any other New Year's horror movies since we talked about New Year's Evil a couple years ago and Terror Train actually turned out to be a really good movie. Great movie. Yeah. Wonderful movie with Jamie Lee Curtis. We're going to talk about a New Year's rom-com. And what better way to start off than with New Year's Eve, perhaps the rom-com that has pushed out not only A Walk to Remember, but also The Notebook as being my least favorite (laughs) rom-com I've ever watched in my entire life. I don't think The Notebook is is a rom-com or A Walk to Remember. Okay. Romantic movies. It doesn't matter. This... 
I would rather watch all of the cheesy Christmas movies that we just watched mm-hmm. back to back on repeat over a weekend than watch this movie ever again. <laughs> oh my. And I know that our new like motto, our new format is that we we don't tell movies are bad and like I'm not saying that this is a bad movie. I'm just saying it was not for me and I have a lot of problems with it. Do you? It, yes. <laughs> I apologize for bringing up this movie as an idea. No, I'm glad that we watched this movie. (laughs) I think we need to do Valentine's Day. Oh, we're going to do Valentine's Day (laughs) and we're going to do your favorite holiday, Mother's Day, because there's a threequel to this one. I did not know that. Yeah, it's... uh, Hold on, let me pull it up real quick. Mother's Day. It was... I think it was the last movie that Gary Marshall directed in 2016. With Jennifer Aniston, Kate Hudson, Julia Roberts, Jason Sudeikis, Timothy Oliphant. And it doesn't look like they got the same amount of cast for this one. He's got his usual cameos in there. Um, Bon Jovi in this one? No, Bon Jovi is not in this one. Mm. Sarah Chalky. Got Larry Miller again. His usual people. So... Um, I did not know that this movie Jennifer Garner. I'm excited to watch it. John Lovitz. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna just knock out the Gary Marshall holiday movies. This movie, it almost feels like they said, "Let's cram as many celebrities into this movie as we can." Mm-hmm. And that's the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like Gary Marshall wanted to make a movie. The movie of movies for New Year's so that no one else could ever make a New Year's Eve film because he took all the storylines and all the big actors to be in his movie. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> to be fair, I don't know where else you could go with New Year's after this movie. They hit all the plot points. All of them. You could possibly imagine we have newborn babies Mm -hmm. we have death Mm -hmm. we have love we don't have any breakups though that's true no one no one in this movie realizes that their significant other isn't good for them i guess the closest we get is halle berry and her her military husband yeah I wouldn't say they broke up. No, they didn't break (laughs) up, but like that's like the loss. Like, Uh oh, oh, we can't be together on New Year's Eve. No one breaks up in this movie because because New Year's is about hope and promise of things to come. And you can't start the year with a breakup because those aren't healthy for you ever. (laughs) Sarcasm. Oh, my The movie is broken up into segments, but they interlap with each other. But the weird thing is, well, and actually I will say that is one thing that I thought the movie did mostly well, except it did fall into a trap that I find a lot of sitcoms fall into or other TV shows where you'll follow one character's storyline and it's a certain time of day. 
but then you'll go to another character's storyline and it's like five hours later. Mm -hmm. So there's no consistent timeline where like all of the stories are taking place at the same time. Again, could have benefited from the countdown timer in the bottom. Could have benefited from a countdown timer at the bottom of the screen. And somehow it still ends on New Year's, but then like it doesn't end on New Year's because I don't know. I like I thought like that would be the big finale. Like, oh, the ball dropped. It's New Year's mm-hmm. end of movie. But no, there was like 20 minutes left after the ball dropped. Yeah. Yeah. It really probably should have ended when the ball dropped. I think it would make more sense. Right. Yeah. Like if they could have everything like line up at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, this is just a personal grievance. But who are these people who are staying up past midnight for an a mi- for a New Year's Eve after party? <laughs> right. That's not an after party. No. That's a New Year's Day party that starts at 12 a.m. Yes. Pass. Yeah. Hard pass. I'd rather be in bed at nine on New Year's Eve. Yeah. We did that last year. It was awesome. Best. And guess what? We woke up the next day and we didn't feel any different. Nope. Although I do kind of feel like it's cursed to do that now. So now I feel like we have to stay up to midnight. Yeah, we might want to address that <laughs> off the podcast. Uh, so I did like that. I did like that the stories intercut with each other, so you didn't have to deal with them for two, <laughs> one story for too long. Because some stories were stupid. Um, I would say most of the stories are stupid. Oh, yeah, most of the stories are stupid. There was only one that I really kind of was interested in, but it was probably the most boring of all the plots. Oh, the one with Zac Efron? Yeah, the one with Zac Efron and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, But also another detriment to having them cut these stories together is sometimes they would bounce back to other stories and then they would introduce new characters and we're 20 minutes into the movie. And then an hour and 30 minutes into the movie (laughs) because this movie's almost two hours long. Which is wild. Which is I will say it did not feel long. It just felt really boring. (laughs) You know how sometimes movies feel boring and they feel long? Yeah. Like this one at least kept going. Right. And I was like, I have to see where this ends. (laughs) But not because I want to. (laughs) An hour and 30 minutes into the movie, they're still introducing people. That's right. Alyssa Milano shows up. (laughs) Common shows up. Why? You know. Why? Reasons. Movie magic? You can't say movie magic. <laughs> That's just someone said, oh, crap. We hired these two other actors we didn't get who them. have really big names. Can we just slide them in at the end? <laughs> he put too many people in this movie. There were arguably too many people in this movie. I also didn't really like that they all didn't intertwine. I thought it'd be cool if, like, somehow each one of them intertwined in some way. Yes. Like, if there was, like, if they were all building towards some kind of domino-esque effect. Exactly. Where they, like... Exactly. Intertwined and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But only, like, what? Four? Well, let's think about it. We have... We had Josh Demel and Sarah Jessica Parker. Their Mm -hmm. stories intertwined. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we had Robert De Niro's and... Oh, yeah. Uh, Catherine, no. No, um, Catherine Heigl's the other girl. Yep. Hillary Swank. Oh, my gosh. 
so far down on the list, it was ludicrous. That's Who's a joke. Who's also in this movie? Who's also in this movie? <laughs> did you like that joke? I did. <laughs> I did. Um, but those are the only. So those are the only stories that really intertwined with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Ashton Kutcher's and Leah Michelle's intertwined but with like the really other one, but like partially. Hardly. I mean, other than like she was in the other story. But with Bon Jovi, not even like Katherine Heigl's character. Yeah, speaking of Bon Jovi, I don't know if this says anything, but this is the last actual movie that Bon Jovi was ever credited in being in. So tell me what that means. Um, That this movie was his success he could retire on? I think he could. I think he was fairly successful on his own name, and he probably could retire on his own name, (laughs) not necessarily on this movie. Remember how Matthew Broderick shows up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like how his name was Bullerton? Yeah. <laughs> Clever. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if this is still true or not, but supposedly he's married to Sarah Jessica Parker. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, John Lithgow shows up. Yeah, John Lithgow is in this. Um, let's just, you know what? Let's just start reading this list of people who's in this movie because I feel like we got we got time. Sarah Jessica Parker, Jessica Biel, Ashton Kutcher, Michelle Pfeiffer, Zach Efron, uh, Robert De Niro, Halle Berry, Carrie Ulls, Alyssa Milano, Common, Seth Meyer, Sarah Paulson, Till Schweiger, Carla Gugino, Catherine Heigl, John Bon Jovi, Leah Michelle, Jim Belushi, Abigail Breslin, and I think that's like the end of the main people. Larry Miller... Yardley Smith, the Marshall's daughter and uh, sister, or wife, whoever. You know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, where do we start talking about this movie? What story do we tar- st- talk about first? Did you have a favorite of the stories? Um... I'm kind of an Ashton Kutcher fan. I, d- I wouldn't say I like his story. I just, I kind of like him as an actor. I think he. Yeah, I, I enjoy a good Ashton Kutcher. So I, I kind of liked that one, I guess, just because he was in it. Um, I expected more out of that one. Yeah, I mean, it was very boring. It was like incredible. It was probably the boringest storyline, but I just can always get behind a good Ashton Kutcher storyline. Yeah, I think Zac Efron does have the best storyline just because y- you get to go more places. <laughs> <laughs> but like barely. Yeah. That's the other thing is like all of the stories move so quickly. There's not really any time to establish anything. So the movie's definitely trying to trick you into experiencing some sort of like emotional high at the end. Like it's definitely trying to play on your, I guess, feelings about New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Is like a general symbol of hope. I feel like we should read the speech that she gives. Yeah, I don't feel like we should. <laughs> I don't know. Something about... So, okay, so Ashton Kutcher's storyline is that he uh, he gets trapped in an elevator with Leah Michelle. Oh, but you forgot he hates New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah, he hates New Year's Eve. And... 
he was on his way to throw out all of the New Year's Eve decorations that his neighbors put up in his apartment complex. And we later find out that Leah Michelle is a backup singer for John Bon Jovi, who's actually playing a musician called Jensen in this movie. Which is kind of confusing. Why couldn't he just be Bon Jovi? Yeah, I don't know why he couldn't just be Bon Jovi. Like, oh, we hired Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, because that's Bon Jovi. Right. Uh, So the movie pretty much consists of them just sitting in an elevator the whole time talking and she calls him out for hating New Year's Eve for shocker, a girl breaking his heart on New Year's Eve, which is, I feel like how these movies go. Right. There's a lot of reasons to not like New Year's Eve and his was a stupid one. For sure. For sure. And... Eventually they get out and she goes and sings back up. But you forgot she sings to him in the elevator and he draws her a picture. He draws her a picture that she doesn't really seem fond of. No. Mm -hmm. And I think the implication is that they're supposed to be in love because she sang to him and he drew a picture of her and they showed each other their craft because he's an artist. He's a comic book illustrator. I thought his art was cool. Yeah. I don't think Ashton Kutcher actually drew that. Uh, Probably not. That uh, was neat. And uh, I guess the implication is that they fall in love and she gets a big music career because she's allowed to sing Auld Lang Syne at the end because Jensen says, I got more important things to do. He realizes love is more important than his career. Yeah, so let's talk about that storyline because that was probably the one I had the biggest problem with. Actually, one of two that I had the biggest problem with. So, Catherine Heigl is a chef with a catering business who's hired to cater a party that seems to begin before New Year's Eve, but also begins after New Year's Eve. The real party begins after New Year's Eve. Well, not after New Year's Eve, after midnight, let's say that. Right, 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 right. Clarify. And turns out she has had a thing in the past with Jensen. What, what? And their whole thing is she, he proposed to her and then just ran away. Which that seems like an interesting storyline. How did that go down? Like immediately proposed and then ran away? Yeah, like was it like they kind of made it seem like he proposed and then the next day like disappeared. Right. So... Yeah, that I think we need a prequel movie with <laughs> a lot of the filler for this movie. Right. I'm not I I don't want an extra 30 <laughs> minutes in this movie, but maybe a little flashback would have been nice. Mhm. And so she spends the whole movie being mad at him, and he spends the whole movie saying, "I screwed up. I should marry you." And I'm sitting here thinking, you haven't talked to this woman in a year mm-hmm. and you just showing up and you're saying, Hey, let's get married again. You don't know if she's dating somebody. You don't know if she's married. We, we, you clearly didn't take the time to do any research into her life as to what she's doing. No, he did. Cause he told them that she had to cater or he wouldn't sing at their event. Yeah. He knew that she was a caterer. Right. She was a caterer when they were dating. So he just said, hey, hire her or I'm not going to (laughs) sing 
your songs to the peoples. <laughs> and he he just thinks that she'll take him back. Yeah. And she slaps him. And I say, you go, girl. Mm-hmm. And she slaps him again. And then at the end, when she finds out that he picked her for the, he said he wouldn't do the thing without picking her or w- unless she catered it. She's like, oh, I guess he still loves me. Yeah. That's true love right there. You don't know that. Maybe he just really likes your tacos or whatever <laughs> you made. I don't know. No, that's true love. There were huge assumptions made with this one. Yeah. Also, another major nitpick is she says, all right, everybody, go change into party clothes and join the party. No, 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 no. You're working. <laughs> you were hired to cater that event with your waiters and right. your chefs. You should continue to cater until the event is over. You know what my biggest problem with this storyline was? You're going to say her hair? No. How they passed out dessert. Dangerous. Who thought that was a good idea? I don't know. They attach bags of truffles to little parachutes and they chuck them at people from the balcony. (laughs) And yes, they fall gracefully. But what if you're not paying attention? Right. It was kind of terrifying. It would have been the worst. Yeah, I didn't like it. Cute idea. Poor in execution. Also, she somehow had time to curl her hair. Yeah. While she changed. Yeah. And then she spit out all those truffles. She shoved all those truffles in her mouth. (laughs) John Bon Jovi shows up and she's like, no, no, no. Swallow those truffles, girl. You eat those truffles. Yeah. So that was. Also, who shoves truffles in their mouth? I don't care if you're sad. You eat them one at a time. Yeah. That was weird. I mean, when I'm sad, I don't, and I'm sad eating, I don't shove a whole whatever I'm eating in my mouth at the same time. Right. You know, we'll get to the end together. Right. Just one bite at a time. Right. Don't rush it. Gosh. Yeah. Because then you're going to be sad without food. Right. (laughs) The other story that I had a huge problem with is Josh Demel's. I'm going to call it, I'm, I'm focusing on his part of the story because... I don't understand Jess- Sarah Jessica Parker's story. You don't understand it? I mean, I understand it, but it felt pointless. No, she was the girl that he needed to meet at midnight. Right. I understand that part of her story, but she spends the whole movie like yelling and following her daughter. Because mm-hmm. we needed a teen story in there. Yeah. Why did we need teenagers in this movie? You know, because teenagers celebrate New Year's Eve, too. And I think Sarah Jessica Parker was just being a good mother and not letting her daughter go out on New Year's Eve to Times Square by herself. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I'm team just team Sarah Jessica Parker all right. the way. Like, she was in the right in that situation. Um, For sure. Abigail Breslin, she was in the wrong. Yeah, she says, oh, I'm not a teenager. I mean, I'm not a child anymore. I wear a real bra. I can go to Times Square by myself. Okay, well, then you can also get murdered, so. Yeah. Maybe if Idiot. she had just told her mom that Piper's mom was creeping around following them, that right. she would have been okay. Right. Because I feel like that's what makes her change her mind at the end. Right. She's like, oh, there's a parent here. It's fine. Yeah. Because this woman, she has no other name other than Piper's mom, mm-hmm. spends the whole movie creeping around following these teenagers. 
it was kind of funny. But also kind of terrifying. But also kind of creepy. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, no, I want to talk about more about their storyline. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I want to talk about the whole... I, I thought let's, it just kind of seemed like we went on a side and talked about Sarah yeah, Jessica let's, Parker let's, first. Let's go on that side and talk about Sarah Jessica Parker first. So uh, her daughter, Abigail Breslin, goes to Times Square to meet up with her boyfriend after her mom told her, no, she can't go there, so that they can share a Midnight Eve kiss. Midnight Eve yeah, kiss. Yeah, Midnight Eve kiss. <laughs> and... Uh, she finally, first of all, it took her all day to get there. All day. And then she finally shows up and he is kissing another girl and she is heartbroken. But thank goodness her mom is right there to give her a consoling hug. And then the girl that he was kissing was also her friend. And then her friend comes over to Abigail Breslin and says, hey, we're going to go to a party you want to come? And Abigail goes, yeah, can I, Mom? Can I go? And she just goes and hangs out with her friends who just kissed her boyfriend. And then her boyfriend says, she just kissed me out of the blue. I mean, I didn't stop the kiss, but I didn't start the kiss. And then she just forgives him. And then they kiss. That is a stupid, stupid storyline. Let's just add one more stupid thing to that. Everybody in this movie seemingly gets from wherever they are to another part of New York City or to Times Square at the snap of their fingers. Right. Abigail Breslin takes all day yeah. to get to Times Square. Yeah. And at one point, she she is there, mm -hmm. and she says, hey, is this the whatever street I'm supposed to be on? And the lady's like, no, it's two, it's two streets away. And she gets there. And she gets there, but like too late. Yeah. There was no frame of reference for where everything was in relation to the ball dropping. No. She could have been she could have been an hour away mm -hmm. from this other street. She could have been ten minutes away. We don't know. And if I learned anything from how I met your mother, you basically can't get anywhere downtown New York on New Year's Eve. How I Met Your Mother or not, I would assume that New York City, one of the busiest cities in the entire world, on the day in which millions of people converge on the city, people who aren't from the city, you would assume that, the, that traveling would be basically impossible. Mm -hmm. It would be like the Puerto Rican Day Parade episode of Seinfeld. Right. I know. How I Met Your Mother. But not only not only does she just well not only does everybody in this movie travel around a family with an RV was, somehow that was my favorite part gets into he says up oh, here comes the traffic and then like boop it's midnight and then they're in Times Square with their giant RV and found a parking spot yeah and <laughs> we well no 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 because they were going to see the Rockettes right which is weird because. That's still downtown. It's weird because aren't the Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall? Yes. What time was their show? Because isn't that where Zac Efron took Michelle Pfeiffer to do the harnessy thingy? Yeah, but their show is the next day. 
It was on New Year's Day. Oh, the, he said they go on New Year's Day? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I missed that. Mm-hmm. Also, it seemed like they were in Connecticut. I don't know how far Connecticut is from New York. Uh, but they left after three. That much I do know. Yeah, and they made it. Time does not exist for movies. <laughs> on New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve. I know that Christopher Nolan doesn't want us to believe in time in movies, but okay. <laughs> All right, we can jump back to Sarah Jessica Parker's story now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sarah Jessica Parker, her whole thing is that she fought for custody of her child, and this is the first New Year's Eve that she has with her. So understandably, she does want to spend New Year's Eve with her daughter. Mm-hmm. And also understandably, she does not want a 15-year-old running around times new. Times New... <laughs> times New York. <laughs> times New York. Times Square, unsupervised. Correct. I would not want my child... Absolutely not. ...to go to Times Square unsupervised. No. If you move out of the house, great. Right. Go, I'd go, still probably be worried about you because it's Times Square. Right. But... They may have put up a bunch of flashing lights, but we know it goes down to Times Square. Right. So that's her whole thing. Literally just trying to That's find it. her daughter. <laughs> and uh, That's just literally it. I'm now questioning which of these stories is the most boring of the <laughs> stories because not a lot happens in any of them. Right. Arguably. Oh, I guess her story does intertwine with Zac Efron's because that's her brother. Yes. That was a weird addition. Yes. But he needed a reason he could go into radio music hall. Yes, but who who lets the brother of the costume designer into Radio City Music Hall to just do whatever? Right. Especially someone who's a courier. Well, you know. That was weird. Maybe she's like the costume designer in New York City. Maybe. I'm incredulous. Mm-hmm. So the flip side of this story, uh, so the flip side of Sarah Jessica Parker's story, which we probably should have started with his story because it's kind of supposed to be a surprise, I guess, the end of her story. Mm-hmm. Josh Demel, he is big businessman, goes to his friend's wedding in wherever. We never see them again, so Connecticut. it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Don't know why. I guess he needed a reason to be there. Don't know why they picked him, but sure. whatever. He gets into an accident because he's messing with his GPS like an idiot. Mm-hmm. All of the car rental places and mechanics are closed because it's New Year's Eve. Because if there's anything I know from working in retail, most places are closed on New Year's Eve and not New Year's Day when people are hungover. Exactly. So he has to hitch a ride with the pastor of the church where the wedding was and his family in this RV. Mm-hmm. And he's, his story starts with, I have to get back because I have this big speech to give. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that a year ago, on New Year's Eve, the prior year, he met a girl at a pizza shop while he snuck out during all the speeches. And she gave him a napkin that said, if you're serious, meet me here one year from today at midnight. Or something along those lines. And he carried the napkin around with him for a whole year, debating whether he was going to go see her again. How 
impressive would a girl have to be for you to do that? I would be... There is not a single part of me that would actually believe that that girl would be there one year from today. But would you still go just to see? No, absolutely not. I would say, yeah, that she wasn't serious. Uh, What if the girl was like the most beautiful girl in the world? No girl is beautiful enough (laughs) to do that for. (laughs) If there's anything that being an adult for at least a couple years has taught me. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, do you agree? Am I uh, being ridiculous? No, I mean, I wouldn't go. I just I just have so many questions about that. Like, they just meet... Like, what was their conversation like when they met? Like, what made, it, made him want to go back to see her so bad? And did they kiss the first time they met? Because they immediately see each other and start kissing. And I just feel like, you don't even have a relationship. Do you even know that she has a daughter? Yeah, I don't... He was impressed by her because... I guess she wasn't one of these like blonde airhead types that he normally finds whatever. Right. Here's the thing that I think is so interesting. Well, okay. One, if someone says, if you are serious about this and then tells you, Oh, I'll see you a year from now. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. They're not serious. (laughs) They're just playing games with you. Yeah. That's stupid. Yes. So in case you haven't figured this out, audience, Sarah Jessica Parker is this other individual. And she was 100% willing to blow off this guy who clearly was not that impressive to spend the evening with her daughter. And she only goes after she lets her daughter go to the party and her daughter says, oh, go to your party, mom. Yeah, and she didn't even seem like she was in a hurry to get there because she stopped at her uh, workplace to get her dress, do her hair and makeup. And a horse-drawn carriage? And got a horse-drawn carriage to take her to this pizza shop that didn't even exist anymore. Yet neither of them apparently took the time to find out if this pizza place was still there. I, I, If you live in New York, do you just assume that a place still exists until it, you go there and it doesn't? Probably. I don't know. Like, like not like, oh, it's closed. Like, no, no, no. Right. Like, it, this building was torn down. Right. I, I don't know. My head hurts. It was baffling. It was so baffling. It almost seems like an afterthought that they put that in there. Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 like it, like, part of me wonders if, like, he was supposed to be with Hillary Swank. But then they changed it because they were like, no, that makes too much sense. Yeah. We got to throw in a little fake out. Yeah. Okay. So maybe the main. Nigel picked up on this right away. And I was like, I got to I got to pretend that like he's wrong because I knew the movie. I knew where the movie was going because I've seen this movie before. And I knew what was going to happen. And Nigel got it immediately. And so I wanted to fake him out. With the movie's fake out. <laughs> yeah. Just for my own laugh because I was so bored. During Before the movie. we talk about this fake out, uh, I should say the Sarah Jessica Parker thing with Josh Jamel was so far out of left field. Like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> it did not make any sense because the mom's motivations did not have anything to do with finding this guy. Right. 
And you would think that if she was serious when she wrote the napkin, which she clearly was not fully serious, Mm -hmm. she would have, you know, been more attuned to that than her daughter. Yes. So here's, here's Nigel's dating advice. Don't play games. Right. Don't write notes about, oh, I'll meet you here if you're serious about dating me. Like, no, 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 no. That's not how you build relationships. No. That's how you lose relationships. Yeah. Because yeah. what if he found a nice lady in the year prior? Mm-hmm. You don't know that. Mm-hmm. These people act like New Year's like a week away. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so easy to wait for someone for a whole year. No, no, no. Guess what? People are stupid and they can't. Right. So the main story, I guess if you want to call it that, is Hillary Swank's story. Mm-hmm. In which she is the vice president of the Times Square committee or something. Yeah. Planning She's committee. Basically in charge of Times Square? The ball drop. Right. I don't know if she's in charge of all of Times Square, but let's But like what does she do the rest of the year though? Like what's her job? I plan the next ball drop. That's wild. I think maybe, it's the same thing every year. Maybe next year they can avoid the problems that they had in this one. Oh my. So she's in charge of you know, dropping the ball, which is a weird way to say that. And uh, she gives interviews. She makes sure that Jensen's doing his thing. She really doesn't have a lot to do until the ball stops working. Mm -hmm. And then even then, she delegates the work to people who are actually, like, qualified electricians. And they call in Kaminsky, who's a guy from... Uh, the Princess Diaries, who also works frequently with Gary Marshall. Do we mention what Gary Marshall is known for? I mean, we. we I know him from the Princess Diaries. That's it. Yeah, he's done well, a bunch that, of stuff. Well, that and he directed Laverne and Shirley. I I think he directed Laverne and Shirley. I know his daughter is in Laverne and Shirley. I think he had something to do with it. He uh, let's go back and find out. Yeah, I know this is a really weird time for us to start talking about. Uh, Gary Marshall's credits. He directed two episodes. Oh, that was it? Okay. He directed Overboard and The Princess Diaries, just in case you cared. But one of his longtime cameo people uh, shows up in the movie, whose name I don't have written down, and I can't find him on the thing. Hector something or other. Plays Kaminsky. They call him in. He tests each light individually because apparently the Times Square ball is just a giant string of Christmas lights in which one goes out and the whole thing falls apart. Again, no time frame for when this occurs in relation to midnight. But, um, I mean, he makes it. Mm -hmm. And... Her police officer friend, who seems like more than a friend throughout the entire movie. Like, maybe there's like a little romantic entanglement. No, I hope not. With Hillary Swank? Yeah. With the police officer? Yes. His oh, family yeah, 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 because his family shows up at the end. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. but like at first, like you, you don't, yes. he doesn't say anything about his family. Right. And all of a sudden his family's there and you're like, oh, okay, I guess. And that's when he's like, hey, go to your meeting. And this is like, oh, 
Okay, so we just saw Josh Demel. He's going for his meeting. That was a, we- we a just weird saw her. way to word that, though, for what she's going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. wouldn't call that a meeting. And so she, we see her running. We see Josh Demel running. And then they get to a square by a clock, and it's 15 minutes to midnight. And you're like, great, they're early. And they look at each other. And then they keep running by. Ha ha, gotcha. And the movie faked you out. Now, where was Hillary Swank going? We'll have to tell you in a minute. Because <laughs> now we're going to talk about another story. Which other story should we talk about? Let's talk about Jessica Biel. Oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. I, I, there's so many stories. I forgot about that yeah. one. Let's talk about um, That one's kind of stupid. So Jessica Biel and Seth Meyers, they're married. They're pregnant. The hospital apparently gives $25,000 to the first baby born at New Year. That seems like a poor hospital decision. Right. That seems like a weird thing. Apparently, hospitals are like play- are in the habit of contests now. But also, they should know that if they give that money out to the first baby born at midnight, and that becomes like a known thing... They're going to have crazy people like in this movie who are going to try to induce labor in their place and Mm -hmm. try to finagle the system. Right. Like, Like, I mean, if you're going to have a baby, you you should earn $25,000. That seems like a good deal. Yeah. I'm not saying that they aren't deserving of it, but I'm just saying it's No, I'm not saying they're deserving of it. I'm just saying like... Yeah, no, duh. If a hospital told me I could get $25,000 to have a baby on New Year's, that's when I'm going to have my baby. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) So Sarah, oh my gosh, I'm so used to talking about Sarah Jessica Parker. So Jessica Biel and Seth Meyers, uh, they're in this contest. And then Sarah Paulson and Teague, or oh crap, I forgot his name already. Till Schweiger show up. And... uh, they're duking it out for whose wife is going to have the baby first. And this is also where Carla Gugino shows up as some kind of weird hippie doctor. And she's all about feelings and seeing things with the third eye. And there's a funny, or like a moment that's supposed to be funny where Jessica Beale and Seth Myers are in their apartment and she's trying to induce labor, but then it happens and he can't hail a cab. But then they have to get one of those, like, bicycle cabs. But, like, it seems very rushed, and it seems played for humor, but then they immediately cut to Robert De Niro, who's a man dying in a hospital. Right. So, like, oh, hey, here's this funny light miracle of birth. Oh, by the way, people are dying. Right, life and death. (laughs) And, uh... I actually don't have a whole lot of problems with the pregnancy storyline. No, I mean, it was fine. I guess out of all of them, it was the most cohesive and it didn't seem like like they established up front, like, oh, these people are, are they have a long-term relationship. Like, this is what they're trying to do. Right. Seth Myers is doing his usual bit mm-hmm. and, like, it works sometimes, but not ever. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt his his brand of humor just feels out of place outside of like, like Weekend Update or like his talk show. Yeah, right. But that's exactly what he was doing the whole time. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Yeah, you'll have to see the movie to figure out who wins the money. Got to leave some couple things spoiler free. Was it supposed to be a big reveal that the other couple uh, had two kids? I don't know, but that was probably my only problem with it. So we find out. So both couples are admitted to the hospital right before midnight. When we see Sarah Paulson and her husband there, it's just the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then they're getting ready to go into the labor room and they suddenly have two more children with them. <laughs> Who, what adult dropped these two children off with these people when they're about to go <laughs> in? Both parents are clearly going into the labor room. So right. who's watching these children? Maybe they have grandparents out in the waiting room that'll sit with them. Where I just I don't know where did I they come know. from? It I was very bizarre that all of a sudden they had these two children. Right. Like I get it. Okay, they can go to the doctor visit. Like we don't need to bring the kids and we'll go home. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't. I also feel like it would have been better if just a random person won the money rather than one of these two couples. That'd be kind of funny. Yeah, like I was another, kind of hoping that that would happen. Like, what are the odds that there are only two women right. going into labor at midnight? I well, mean, I don't know how that works. And that room was filled with babies. Yeah. So there were clearly so many other people had babies. Did they all just pop them out like 1201, <laughs> 2, 3, 4, 5? Right. <laughs> how nice for the doctor. So then we have uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Zach Efron's story. Zac Efron is a courier who delivers mail to her office. She works for the big record company that is throwing the big New Year's Eve party. It's actually, all of these stories are a little bit more connected than we think because Josh DeMille's dad owned the company. Like the company was named after him. But he wasn't the guy in the office. Yeah, that was confusing to me. I realized later that John Lithgow was somebody else. Yeah. So, so that, that was, was weird. Yeah. I Well, I was trying to remember what his name was, John Lithgow. And then I thought like, oh, are they going to pull like a weird Westworld time thing with us? And then I thought, no, no, no. That's too <laughs> clever for this movie. Yeah, that's way too clever for this movie. So Michelle Pfeiffer's thing is that she never completed her resolutions from the prior year. Like most of us. Right. Like every human that's ever lived. Yeah. In fact, I don't think she's ever done anything for herself ever in her life. She's kind of a sad lady. Mm -hmm. And because of a somewhat near death experience that she had on her way to work. Not even. That's what she called it. It was not even. (laughs) She fell into some garbage. Because a a car didn't see her in the cross. Well, she didn't even see the car. It was like she wasn't paying attention. Right. And I don't even think she had started walking across yet. No, that's what I mean. She was just standing on the sidewalk and a car was coming and she fell into garbage. And called it a near-death experience. On the road. It's just like the car startled her. That's basically what happened. A car startled her, so she dived into garbage and called it a near-death experience. Yeah. Okay. So because of this and because of her low bonus that she received from her boss and his unwillingness to go two weeks without her. She's a secretary. But she still got money and not points like some people do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, oh, okay, I quit. 
which is her first resolution. And then she spends the rest of her story. She hires Zac Efron for the whole day to help her fit, get all of her resolutions done, which are this, the thing that I, this is why I found the story fun because she wanted to do wildly crazy things Mm -hmm. like go to Bali, save a life, uh, walk all five New York boroughs in a day and like all be this amazed. stuff. Be amazed. Like, okay, <laughs> you've never been amazed at anything in your Breakfast entire life. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. And she says, if you help me figure, if you help me do all these resolutions by the end of the day, then I will give you these exclusive tickets to the big New Year's Eve party that is happening. Mm-hmm. And he does it. It's pretty great. He takes her to a spa named Bali, which was very clever. She probably needed that. Mm-hmm. He uh, convinces her to adopt a dog, which is saving a life. That was cute. I, that was my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, he takes her to a miniaturized model of New York so that she can walk all five boroughs. So it's clever. Like that. Like I feel like they put the most thought into this one. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, he, he calls her weird and they get into their little fight, but then he invites her to the party and it's, and I also really enjoyed that their whole thing was more about building a friendship. Mm -hmm. Even if the, even if that friendship felt equally shallow to all of the other relationships in the movie, right? theirs was more about building a friendship than like falling in love. Right. He does kiss her at midnight, but that's just to me all of her New Year's resolutions. That's just to finish her resolutions. Right. And that was very sweet. Yeah. So, you know, that one was nice. That yeah. was probably the closest thing that this movie came to heartwarming for me is seeing friendship mm-hmm. because that's how real, real relationships are built. Yeah. I thought it was very, that, I thought it was clever. Yeah. So I think that leaves the last storyline. No. Did we talk about Halle Berry's? I was just getting to that one. Oh, okay. We got Robert De Niro and Halle Berry. Robert De Niro, I guess in the movie, is some kind of weird father time symbol because he's an old man dying. (laughs) And his whole thing, his very last thing, is that he wants to see the ball drop one more time. Which, in a movie full of like weird cliches centered around New Year's Eve, that felt stupid i i would not right that would not be on my dying wish like okay i get it they're like how do i say this without sounding like an idiot or a jerk when people are dying they have the weirdest last wishes in the entire world and everybody things are meaningful to everybody for different reasons Mm -hmm. so you know if my I don't I can't see either any of my grandparents ever wishing to see the ball drop one last time. But I think it was something special that he did. Right. It was right. we like you learned within his something. story it, yeah. we learned that it was something special for him and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh you probably figure out where this is going. Um but within the entirety of all the clichés of the movie, mm-hmm. it seems silly. Right. And that frustrated me <laughs> because if I feel like if maybe they had established how meaningful it was f- like first, mm-hmm. 
it would add more emotional resonance to actually two of the stories Mm -hmm. in the movie. Mm -hmm. So Halle Berry's his nurse and she just sits with him the whole movie. We find out at one point, I guess maybe he has dementia. It only happens one time. It was very weird. Yeah. So maybe he was delirious. I don't know. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. Um, and he, he like he wants to just go up to the roof of the hospital and see the ball drop. You know what my new pet peeve is in movies? Hmm. When people have cancer and they look completely normal and healthy. Yeah, after experiencing that firsthand, that uh, it like it piss- like it just makes me very mad now because I I just I don't think that's a fair representation for those people that are suffering from cancer. Right. And whose families are impacted by the, you know, somebody dying from cancer. I just feel like we shouldn't represent that in a very lighthearted, you get to have a last moment with somebody and they look completely normal and healthy sort of way. Because that's yeah. that's not real life. And, and I think it just puts that expectation into other people's minds that this is like... Yes, it's sad for anyone that dies from cancer, but then you have that expectation of movie magic where they look the way that you always pictured them and you get to have a special last moment with them. And that's just not reality, unfortunately. Right. It's frustrating, but also I can't imagine Robert De Niro doing a Christian Bale or a Tom Hardy thing where he loses. Because, I mean, like, yeah, he's old and he's not that old, but... You know, that's probably not they healthy. Give him dementia or something. Don't, yeah, don't yeah. Give, give him, him something. Cancer. Give him something where he, the expectation is for him to look a little healthier. I right. get it. Right. I'm sorry. I just, I get very mad now when that happens in movies. No, I get it. Um, surprisingly, that had very little emotional, like, that's how little emotional resonance this movie had oh, for, for me. Oh, sure. like, for even, sure. Even something that I have firsthand experience with, it's like, nothing right because that movie did such a great job of making you feel things yeah and uh for a couple other cameos we got Alyssa milano in the scene for she shows up for a couple minutes right which somehow she's a nurse with in that part of the hospital but, but also, also with the babies, the babies right <laughs> and uh carrie Ulls is the uh is the doctor mm-hmm. who's in like one scene with him so mm-hmm. Uh, Halle Berry, she gets off, she changes into a dress, and she goes to webcam her military husband, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a weird, random scene. This is like when we're introduced to him an hour and 30 minutes into yeah, the Yeah, this movie. is like an hour and 35 <laughs> minutes into the movie. We just find out that she has this husband, right? and that's how they spend New Year's Eve, and it's cut short because he has to, quote, go. Right. And uh, it's not a very emotional scene at all. Like, she seems upset. Like, I get it. You miss him. Mm-hmm. And he's just very monotone the whole time. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's hope I get off soon. I'll be, this will be the year I come home, maybe. <laughs> I don't know why I gave him a bit of a southern draw. Because <laughs> yeah, he definitely very doesn't. Southern draw. Uh, okay. So, in case you haven't figured out where Hillary Swank was running to. Robert De Niro's her dad. So she runs into the room. Which she, this I have the most questions about. She dresses him up and she sneaks him up to the roof. And they watch the ball drop together. And then at some point between watching the ball drop and the next time we cut to the scene, he dies. Mm-hmm. Symbolizing the end of 
I guess, 2011 Mm because this was going into 2012. Right. So. But, okay, here's my question. If your dad was dying, why were you at work? Well. It also seemed like they had a strained relationship. So. That was the thing that was very confusing because she, he made it seem like to the doctor, like, oh, don't call anyone. I don't have anyone. He kept talking about how he has all these regrets in life and right. he shouldn't have left so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And, like, f- the majority of the movie makes it seem like he's just a sad old man who is too mean to people and now he's dying alone. Right. And that I thought that was going to be the point of Halle Berry's story. Right. Was that Same. she was going she, to be with him right. to the end. Made sense. And showing him some loving kindness like at the very end. Mm-hmm. But no, no, no. We got to throw her military husband in an hour and 35 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. And Hilary Swank shows up. But when they're together... She's like, oh, yeah, you know, we do this every year. Right. Like, you know, you think I would miss this one. Right. Like, whatever. Like, I so clearly he doesn't have too many regrets in life because his daughter still sees him for the ball drop every year. I, d- I, I didn't like I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. And again, like if we had established early in the movie that this was a tradition for him and his daughter, mm-hmm. instead of trying to swindle the audience into wondering, like, oh, who's Josh Demel running to? Mm-hmm. Like, if we just said, like, you, because then if we, she's like, oh, like, I'm getting ahead. I have too many thoughts. I'm getting ahead of myself. If we establish early on that they are related, mm-hmm. and one, that's a shared thing for them. One, now we understand why she was motivated to do the ball drop and why it's such a big deal for her right. to make sure that it's working properly because right. not only has that been a lifelong memory for her, but also it's a it might be the last one that she gets to experience with her dad. Right. And so she probably that would also create a sense of urgency for her to fix the problem before she runs off to her dad. Because she wants to make sure she has enough time to get there. But according to the rules of this movie, you can travel anywhere in New York (laughs) as fast as you want. Right. They all live in a miniature version of New York. Yeah. It's like (laughs) everywhere they need to go in New York is two blocks away from each other. Right. So, yeah, that that is a very egregious part of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that could have been more emotional and they could have done more with that. But he also unceremoniously dies off screen. So it's like, okay, we get the happy moment with them. It's like the movie is so against showing unhappy moments because the movie is buying so much into the hope of the new year that it refuses to show anything unhappy. And so like, that's why I think we don't see any breakups in the movie but the closest we get to being sad is Robert Downey. Have I been saying Robert Downey Jr. this no, whole time? No, you've been saying Robert De Niro. Okay. Robert De Niro dying mm-hmm. off screen. Right. And Halle Berry and her military husband. Right. I'm assuming it's her military husband. Yeah. There's no ring on her finger. True. So those are my thoughts about New Year's Eve. I have a question for you. Cool, because I have a question for you. Okay, so this movie has a billion famous people in it. Correct. It probably had plenty of money to make the film. Yeah. I'm not sure if it 
grossed it back or not? Uh, the estimated budget for this movie was $56 million, and it earned $13 million worldwide. Ooh, okay. So it didn't do too hot. But obviously it was still... Oh, that's just opening weekend. Oh. Where's the gross? Come on, IMDb. Don't let me down. Gross... Uh, 142 million worldwide. Okay. So it definitely made its budget back. All right. Now I'm assuming that, I mean, objectively, I can say that this is not a good movie because it. Careful, you get into trouble whenever you start saying objectively. I know. That's why I'm trying to be careful how I word this. It doesn't. Okay, so some people might like this movie. Correct. I would say, objectively, this movie follows beat-by-beat plot points that you need to have a story. There is not much creativity in this movie. Right. This uh, this movie is like the loosest form of story points to put to... I mean, it's, li- it's not like it, there was anything incohesive or anything that came out of left field in the movie. Right. Like, were we surprised with the Sarah Jessica Parker thing? No. Right. Or, yes, we were. Kind of. You kind of called it, so. With Josh Duhamel? Yeah. No, I, I well, what I, I don't remember what I said. That, it was late. Because <laughs> uh, you said Hillary Swank's going to see his, her dad. And I right. said, no, no, no. Yeah, I was yeah, trying yeah. to. You're trying to trick me. I mm-hmm. literally didn't know who he was going to see and I didn't care about Sarah Jessica Parker enough to know that she was giving up something for her right. daughter. Um, yeah, it's like it, nothing came out of left field. It's not like anything was incohesive. There were just things that could have been more better. Right. So the creativity of this movie was very low. Right. But it had a good cast. I use that word loosely, and it had a famous director. I mean, I thought the cast was fine. Right. I mean, good in the loose sense of like they were just famous. Right, but I don't. I wouldn't. There was no bad acting. I'm not saying that. No, and like, there's no one in this movie that I would say is a bad actor. No. But they're they're just big box office names. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that being said, is that all it takes then in Hollywood to make a notoriable film? Like, I guess, I guess my concern slash question slash complaint is there are all these other movies that are great movies, but will never get the recognition that they deserve because... It's really all about names. Yeah. Okay. Like, so... I could turn this into a rant about Marvel movies, but I won't. So, the reality of the the thing is, there are... Making movies is twofold. It is a business, and it is an art form. And... Though there are those movies that are financially successful and artistically successful, and then there are uh, movies that fall on both other ends of the spectrum where they're either financially successful but uh, 
not artistically successful and vice versa. And so a movie like this definitely seems like it was made by an algorithm where they picked the most famous people they could afford uh, knowing that they wanted to cast like 20,000 people in this movie. And uh, they put together a story that works. And, you know, they so it makes sense to make a movie. Uh, I know that we're talking about New Year's Eve, but it makes sense to make a movie called Valentine's Day where you can play into the cheesy romance factor of ever, of the holiday and how it's all about finding love and second chances or I don't know what the movie's about, but I'm just making assumptions based on the rom-com formula. But then it makes sense to do the same thing with New Year's Eve, like the second holiday of the year where people's hopes and dreams are probably at their highest. Right. And so you can put together a loosely emotional story with all these famous people and you know that people are going to spend all of their money to see it regardless of whether it's good or not. And that, I guess I've just been thinking a lot recently of the movie we watched, um, which I'm blanking on the name for, but it was the Christian film. Faith based. Faith based where she says Christian movies don't have to be bad. They just don't have to be good. And that's what I'm starting to feel about blockbusters. They don't have to be bad, but they don't have to be good. Right. Well, she says it's not necessarily that they're bad. They just don't have to be good. Yes. And, I mean, the reality is because of the business side of movie making, they are going to play it safe. And so that's why you see a lot more... uh, a lot more IPs being used. So superheroes, Star Wars, all of those things. It's easier to go back to a well that they know has worked in the past. And it doesn't necessarily have to be good because people already have an emotional connection to it from their childhood and they're going to pay money for it. Mm -hmm. Now, some people like it and that's fine. You can like it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't like a movie like New Year's Eve or any other movie. But I also think that you shouldn't be afraid to branch out a little bit and challenge yourself in what you like. And there are people who like to do that, and there are people who don't like to do that. I just think about what film was when it first came about in the early 1900s. It was... This episode's taken a very weird turn. I know, but <laughs> this this movie has made me think about it. Like, in the 1900s, they didn't... I mean, it's yeah. hard to go, it's hard to p- to point back to the beginning of movie making because back then they didn't have an established language of what a movie was. Like they understood story, and so right. they had to use a That's lot the of thing. It. They understood story. Yeah, I feel like as we're we are growing in the film industry, we're losing a sense of story. It's cut, copy, and paste. Yeah. It is the same, same thing. You you take a comic book, okay? If you want a superhero movie, you take a comic book, put it on the big screen, okay? That's just what you do. And, and we've lost this story building technique. Like, we're no, we're no longer able to tell stories today. Well, this is where we get into some really complicated areas. And 
we're way over already. And I hope people are listening to this because this is the kind of stuff that I want us to talk about on this <laughs> podcast. But telling a story is not difficult. It's it's really not. It, it is formulaic in a sense. Yeah. But that's the challenge of it. To not make your story so formulaic. A good story shouldn't be... It's not necessarily that you should try to fight the formula of story making because then you get into like some for, weird territories. I guess you need to add formula. You, you need to add emotion to your story and you need okay, to add yes. thing. And you, it's not, you don't add emotional through spectacle and through big events or big emotional moments. Mm-hmm. Uh just to uh, to give a frame of reference, like how many times when we were at school mm-hmm. and we would have these pastors come in and give these speeches and then they, you know, the band would come in and they start playing mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden everybody's all emotional and like waving their hands in the air and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like, and then like two weeks later you see like some guy punching his girlfriend in the face right. I, for an extreme example yeah, like very extreme but yeah right like you know it's very easy to create an emotional response to someone to something but it's difficult to create a lasting emotional response to something mm-hmm. and i think that's why there are great movies with mm-hmm. which have a higher artistic integrity mm-hmm. and then there are great blockbusters too that are fun and lasting but yes, it's more about the spectacle at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's my grievance is that, you know, I look at films like Inside Lewin Davis or um, A Serious Man. Yes, I know those are Cohen films and I'm a little biased with that. But even A24, some of their films, I think, create a lasting emotion. Think about the witch, you know? Yeah. A lasting emotion versus something that's just like a moment. Yeah. I still get chill. I can't listen to the score for the witch and not get chills because of that movie and mm-hmm. like just feel a sense of uneasiness. Mm-hmm. But I think that if there's anything that Hollywood has taught us in recent history, it's that the less money you have to work with, the more you have to pull from from something deeper than just spectacle. Which is great. That's what I want more of. Right. That's what I wish I could go to the movies and see. Yeah. That's what I want to see in a the theater, not this. Right. And this is why we haven't gone to the movies in a long time. I know, but we do need to see Edgar Wright's new movie. Uh, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, and... I know that I just like bashed nostalgia, but Scream comes out next month. (laughs) (laughs) But again, that's something that like you enjoy. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, they're dipping into the well. Yeah. I just want, I guess this is what I want. Fine. If you want to have well movies, sure. I want to see more of those low budget creative films and less of this well dipping nonsense going on. Right. We could talk about the death of the mid-budget movie, but we are I would love to. way, <laughs> way, way out of time. Right. If you have any thoughts about <laughs> anything that we just said, please hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. 
thank you for listening. As always, we're going to encourage you to hit that subscribe button for Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never have to miss an episode. We are on Instagram and Twitter, like I said, at Journey Into Film. And if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash a journey into film or head over to TeePublic. Check out some sweet shirts and some merch that we have. Links are available in the show notes. And I just want to say I'm very excited for this new year. We're going to watch some crazy movies. And I thank everybody who has downloaded and subscribed and listened to us so far. You are our favorite people (laughs) in the entire world, even if we are not receiving any financial support. You don't need to. Your continued listening is enough. Thank you and share it with everybody. And as always, never let anyone tell you that a film you enjoy is bad because they're probably wrong. Happy 2022.